It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 191. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. Happy so, May. Happy May. Yeah. Yeah, we're in May already. That's <laughs> hard great. To be- hard to believe that it's that it's um, that far into the year already. Um, I know. But then again, given the weather out here, we had like two sunny days here the other day, um, the other day, the other week. Um, but it still feels like winter almost. It's it's very bizarre really? here. We're having a nice spring, which is good because I think I remember last year being like we were freezing cold one week and we had like three nice days and then we were hot. Yeah. <laughs> this so far, I think we're into like our second straight week now, uh, maybe even third of like really nice, you know, hovering around 70 degree temperatures. So so consider me jealous then. Yeah, that would be nice right now. Um, we've yeah. we're continuing to do some rain. Anyway, yeah. so uh you have some interesting stuff. Yeah. So in my in my new home, I've been expanding my smart home stuff. Uh, in some episode in the past, I talked about getting a smart clock and a smart bulb that came for free with the clock. And how interesting it was to be able to turn the bulb on and off with my voice. And then I found out I could turn, there was a TV I had that I could turn on and off and I think something else too. And so I suddenly went from no smart home to like uh, a couple things. Right. In, in the new home, decided to just keep going. So uh, first thing we did is we needed to get all new ceiling fans, three of them. And I got smart ones. Right. So we have three ceiling fans and all three of them, the light can be controlled. Uh, it, that includes like the brightness and also the color of the light, you know, just warm to cool okay. temperature yep. type thing. Yep. And then also the fan itself can be controlled, including setting the speed from one to four for the fan. So we have those four or those three ceiling fans. Right. And then um, we went, you know, our living room, uh, we decided to do, you know, we have all these lamps and uh, it's kind of, you know, a whole chore to be like, oh, the sun's down, the light's gone. Let's walk around and turn on all the lamps. Right, right. Um, so I set them up to all be smart. Um, I uh, first thing I did was I just got some plug adapters. So you just you plug, you know, the lamp plugs into the adapter, the adapter plugs into the wall, and you could switch the lamp on and off. But then I realized, no, I think I could do better than that. And I just plugged them back into the wall and then put a smart bulb in each one ah. that allows me to change the brightness mm-hmm. and, um, and the color if I want, but, and it has all sorts of stuff, including a disco mode, which, you know, we <laughs> never use, but you know, it's there. And then I, and then I plugged the other, the old plugs into something else. So now we have four lamps in the living room that we could turn on with one command and turn off right. with one command, right. which is nice. Uh, and of course we can do it individually as well. And, and it's been a nice experience, you know, expanding this and my wife and i walk around the place uh you know commanding google to do things um it's uh, it's google because well first of all you know obviously for me you think it would be siri but it's just if you look online if you look on amazon and you look for smart stuff like almost all of it says alexa slash google yeah some of it then says siri too right right so it's that's going to go away as we get closer. You know, there, there's a new standard uh, whose name I forget now begins with an M. What does that matter? That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a, not as many products out now that deal with that. 
So it, you know, it's just that you have a lot of variety and you also don't have to spend a lot. Like I think those switches were like 10 bucks a piece. And I think the light bulbs were like $15 a piece and they're big, bigger than normal ones. Cause we wanted a lot of, you know, uh, brightness for like, mm -hmm. the large space. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it was just cheaper. And then I already have a Google nest system, which means I already have Google listening in three, actually four rooms. If you include the clock radio that happens to have Google assistant on it. So almost <laughs> anywhere in the home, we can, if you talk just loudly enough, uh, Google can hear you and then, uh, you know, do the command. Whereas with Siri, we, I only have one HomePod. And if you're not near that, you'd have to use your iPhone to, right. to create right. your Siri or your, or the Apple TV, if you happen to be watching that. So yeah, we went with that and, um, and it's, 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 uh, it's nice. It's definitely, uh, has uh, big advantages, especially, you know, it seems so now like, uh, I don't know, ancient dealing with the light switches. I mean, something <laughs> like in a bedroom where there's like, yeah, the, the ceiling fan would have had a remote if it wasn't for this, but which side of the bed is the remote on? <laughs> and which side of the bed are you on at the moment at the time right. you want to actually change something or like, you know, just being able to having to get up and turn lights on and off uh, in different parts of the rooms or stuff like that. It, it's uh, the best thing I discovered though is uh, and this just came to me as like, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people read about it first or a lot of people just have known for so long, but it just occurred to me one night when I was uh, going to sleep that I, you know, I, I want to turn off the light on the nightstand, but then it will be dark. Right. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I, a couple things I want to get settled. I still have, you know, maybe my Apple watch to take off and all this stuff. So I thought, well, let me just to ask Google to turn the light off in five minutes. And Google said, okay, <laughs> and even gave me a time. And I was like, oh, all right. And then I, you know, did what I needed to do. And I was just, you know, uh, reading, which is audio book for me. So I don't need the light. And then the light turned off on its own in five minutes. I was like, oh, that's really useful. Right. So now, not only do I use that as part of, I, I almost never tell like Google to turn the lights in the bedroom off. Now, I always say at least like two minutes or five minutes or whatever. Right. But it's so useful in the office because in the office, I tend to like leave my office and forget to turn the light off. Mm -hmm. But you, I find I remember to turn the light off like when I'm getting up to leave. There's just things I need to do. I need to put this over here. I need to grab that thing from the shelf. I need to whatever. And then I do all that and then I leave and the light's still on. Now I could just basically, I could tell Google to turn the light off in my office in two minutes. And then I get up, mm -hmm. I get this, I put this over here and I leave. And then it will turn off in two minutes. Magic happens, yes. I, yeah, I love it. Now what I'm disappointed in, and I'm not the only one to think of this because I looked online and other people are asking, is since the light in the bedroom has a, you know, the ability to go on any percentage I want, yes. you know, 35% brightness, whatever I want. I was like, oh, can you, can you go down from 50% to 0% over five minutes. And no, sadly right. it can't. Now there right. are people that have figured out things, used some programming, done a routine and you know, where it's like 10% increments and it just triggers it every minute after you trigger the yep. routine, Yep. stuff like that. But I wanted something to be simpler and I didn't want it to actually go in steps. I wanted it to go in at least as small as steps as it possibly could. It probably... Right would be noticeable at some point it would drop a step and then you know whatever the leds would hit a, a new level and you would notice it with your eyes but i just wanted to be a simple command and i did actually read a couple of places that that 
is something that's coming at some point in some iteration of Google Assistant. Um, that would be nice to have. I also ran into some hiccups where um, I have, every time you buy one of these light bulbs or switches, it's from some company with some yes. clever name. And then you get the product and they say, download our app. Yep. And you have to download their app, yep. set it up with their app. Yep. And then you connect that to Google Assistant, at which point you never use their app again. Exactly. Yep. Now I figured out, first of all, that one of them, uh, I started, I used one called Genie. And the reason I bought some Genie stuff was because I said, what's the, what's like the most official closest to like buying from Google that there is. And they have a page somewhere hidden in, in their Google assistant web pages where they recommend a couple of companies. Okay. And Genie, it's spelled G E E N I is listed there. Uh, there's some bulbs by Genie. I was like, okay, that's better than just these random companies, right? Mm -hmm. Here's one. So I bought from them. I, I had those two, uh, like two switches hooked up through them. When I bought another bulb for one of these things, I was going to install the app for that bulb. And instead I went to the Genie app and lo and behold, I was able to use the Genie app to right. actually install that one. Right. However, when I tried that again with yet another bulb, I had mixed results, as in it didn't quite work. It may have worked, maybe if I gave it some more time. But once I did it, I could not get Google Home to recognize it from that app. And then I tried removing it, and then I couldn't get Google Home to recognize the other things that were on that app. Oh, and yikes. it was a whole mess. And I eventually, I didn't do a thorough test of like, let me try all the different ways. to. I just downloaded another app, got everything else working, and... It was fine. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's still a pain that you have to use all these apps and you can't just go and bypass that. Yep. The other thing I came up with is I bought a two-pack of bulbs, the, the aforementioned bright mm -hmm. bulbs for the lamps in the living room. A week after having those and having them work perfectly, one of those stopped working. So I was like, all right, let me try to connect again. Now, let me try putting it in another socket. Let me try doing all these things. No, let me try resetting it well it turns out there are no official reset instructions for it although many places say that you know switching on and off five times or four times or eight times or ten times you know <laughs> resets most of these devices and since it didn't have a button on it and of any kind right. i tried all the variations i couldn't get this thing to reset not to mention the fact that if it was broken i should have been able to plug it into a regular socket and then switch it on and the light would have come on it just wouldn't have been controllable. So I just had to basically declare it dead after, after wasting half an hour right. of doing everything. I just had to declare this something it cost, I think it was a two pack for 30 bucks. This big, you know, LED light with smart circuits in it dead and just order another one. So that was kind of disconcerting, but um, yeah. Uh, it, so it's been, it's been pluses and minuses and, uh, Interesting. Another thing, yeah, yeah. Another thing I need to do is I have some built-in, there are some built-in lights here and they're on dimmer switches, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they control like one controls a chandelier, one controls like multiple lights along the edge of a wall. At some point I need to get the, uh, you know, dimmer switch replacement for the wall. Yes. That can yeah. do it. I just don't know if I've got that dreaded neutral wire that you need ah, to connect right. these because- yep. If you, if you look online and you say, I know I haven't opened it up yet. That's, so 
but if, so if I try to predict what I'm going to find when I open it up, um, then it basically everything says, hey, was it built before or after 1980? And I was like, well, yeah, the building was built before 1980, but there's been renovations since right. then. Right. And certainly these switches and the lights I'm seeing are not pre-1980. Right. So, but I've lived in enough old houses to know that you can't predict. Looks can be deceiving. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they could have, <laughs> somebody could have renovated in 2000, well beyond the point where neutral wire should have been standard and still not put neutral wires in. So at some point I'm going to have to, you know, turn power off, open up the switches uh, and see what's there and see if I am lucky enough to have a neutral wire. So case, I, 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 I cannot and am not officially or formally recommending this, but yeah. um, to just examine what's behind a wall switch, yeah. um, I won't bother turning the power off. Well, um, I just, I, I just unscrew it, pull it out and see what I got. Um, I, I will undo the plate. Yes. And but you, but you won't pull the switch out. I will not pull the switch yeah. out. And that's clearly the safer thing to do for sure. So but, maybe I'll maybe I'm pulling the plate off, which you just put in the knob and then unscrewing the plate. Maybe right. that will give me what I want. Probably not though. Probably I, not. Yeah. In these old houses with um with you know, they usually jam so much stuff in there. Yes. That I wouldn't even trust if I saw a white wire in there. You wouldn't Actually, even trust well, that it's connected. I, yeah. I wouldn't even trust that that yep. is the neutral wire and that that is, you know, <laughs> yeah. that it's all done right and all that. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably just, uh, and then of course, there's the whole thing of like shutting power off, which is mm -hmm. a little complex in my situation, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. And then uh, opening it up to see what's there and then saying, oh, I think I could do this. Now I order the part. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah or do, do I just twice. say, yeah. yeah. Or do I just say, you know what? Uh, it's 20 bucks. I'll order it. the part. I'll have it. And if I can't do it, eh, I don't know. I put it in a box. Maybe one day I'll be able to use it for something else. So it's funny. A lot of what you describe is what I've had here for a little while. I think I've mentioned it before. Um, our bedroom, for example, has a, a number of smart switches and a smart fan. Uh, mm -hmm. The problem I have with the fan is it's um, the speed is not remotely controllable. Uh, so it's either on or off. Uh, but it is very, very nice to, in the middle of the night, be able to say, you know, turn oh, on yeah. the fan, turn off the fan, that kind of stuff. One oh, of the yeah, things no, we did nice. is, so ours are all hooked up through um, uh, through Amazon's Echo. Mm -hmm. And um, we uh, we have, I set up a couple of routines. Uh, first of all, first off, I have a number of automated routines, you know, the certain lights come on at random times in the evening when the sun goes down. Or actually, one of the things I like is that you can have them come on at sunset yeah. as sunset changes throughout the year, which is kind of cool. Um, I have, you know, things turn off at, you know, like 1230 or something like that. So my office light, if I forget to turn off my office light, which is not uncommon, um, it'll get turned off automatically, you mm. know, sometimes shortly after midnight. Um, the other thing we did, though, is that uh, when you know, we've got the lights in the bedroom and, you know, yep, they're all there's a number of them. And when they're all on, it's kind of bright. And especially if you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something like that, that can be a little overwhelming, especially for the other person who doesn't have to go. Right. They're right. not getting up. They don't want to be flooded with bright light. So I actually have a little routine that turns on one specific light uh, to one quarter power. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I just, you know, give that command and all of a sudden I've got enough light to walk, you know, through my bedroom, step over the dogs safely and, <laughs> um, and, and yet not, you know, have glaring bright white light, um, you know, throughout the entire room. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've been doing that kind of stuff for a while. Our, uh, we have um, exterior Christmas lights mm-hmm. that we put up every year. And a couple of years ago, I put those on uh, smart switches so that I can, you know, for one thing, the schedule, right? It's back on, you know, sunset, right. they get turned on and and sometimes they get turned off. Or if I want to turn them on manually, I could just, you know, turn on the Christmas lights, uh, which is actually kind of fun, kind of cool. Um, and then I have to agree with you about the number of applications. Same thing on the Android side. Um, the application that I end up using is called Tuya, T-U-Y-A, smart. Mm-hmm. And um, as it turns out, uh, it does occasionally let you add devices that are not that don't call out that specific app. They call out their own other app. Right. My guess is that they're all probably using the same set of controllers from some common manufacturer. Um, mm-hmm. So they all happen to work with a you know the, a, some set of applications. So yes, it's nice not to have to be, not to have to install yet another app on my phone. The only place that I've got a real problem that I'm looking forward or not looking forward to solving one day is that um, a couple of the switches in the bedroom, we've had them for a long time. Before Wi-Fi really became a standard for this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So what I literally have is off in the corner of a bedroom, I have a wired device. Uh, It's a Samsung device that is essentially the hub for the switches in the room. So they're actually not connected directly to my network individually. They're connected through this hub. And if I ever, um, so I've got this silly hub sitting in a corner and the only way to get rid of that would be to swap out the light switches with more modern ones that are used the you know, more modern standard. But yeah. yes, it's, it's so convenient. Uh, same thing, by the way, with my office, um, I have a fan and a light in my office and I can control the light level. Um, I actually have a remote in my drawer but it's actually more accurate or easier. The, the remote's kind of funky. So um, it's actually easier to just ask um, the Echo to you know, set the light full or turn on the fan or do this, that, or the other thing. So, yep, handy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, so. indeed. Um, so I ran across an article a little while ago. Now, I'm going to choose my words very wisely okay. because we, we are not going to use the P word. This is all about adult entertainment. Okay. Let's just just have the nice blanket, you know, statement: adult entertainment and adult entertainment websites. I don't want okay. you know, our podcast to to fall into any filters. Um, but as it turns out, um, Utah recently enacted. I think it actually went into effect today. Uh, enacted legislation that. Any websites that were displaying this adult entertainment had to perform age verification Uh of the visitors. Now, the problem, of course, is that age verification is essentially impossible. There really is no way to verify age reliably. Either you're using a technique that is um, easily spoofable, Right. I mean, most of these sites actually already say, hey, are you over 18? Awesome. Here you go. Um, Which, of course, any 13 year old is going to say, well, yes. Um, Or or you are uh, basically 
forcing your visitors to provide personal information, which particularly when it comes to these adult entertainment sites, um, is not something that a lot of people are interested in doing. So basically age verification is super hard and basically impossible. Mm -hmm. You know what's easier? Mm -hmm. Shutting down the entire state. Mm -hmm. the, um, the adult entertainment site in question, which is a very popular one, um, it's the one that gets cited all the time, um, you know, when there's something going on related to adult entertainment. Um, they just said, you know what? We, we can't. There's no way to make this happen. So if someone in the state of Utah visits this site, instead of getting their adult entertainment, what they're getting is a video from one of these adult entertainment stars saying, hey, we can't. Please reach out to your legislators and inform them how wrongheaded they are uh, about what they're attempting to do. Um, I just find it absolutely fascinating that it's actually so much easier to say, you know what, we'll just block Utah yeah. than it is to try and do something like age, uh, age verification. Now, Utah is not the only state that has this legislation. Apparently, Louisiana may have it as well or something similar. I don't think they've taken the same kind of steps in Louisiana. I'm not sure exactly if or why. Um, but I also, the, the article that I'll link to in the show notes, by the way, which will make it clear exactly what adult entertainment we're talking about, um, was um, that the same kind of legislation is being considered in other um, other venues as well, but um, or other states. Uh, but yeah, blocking a state, which I actually would have considered to be, you know, that's IP location, which is what we're doing. Um, which yeah. is what they're doing, um, is notoriously inaccurate. Right. Um, it's, it, but it's also often inaccurate at, a, um, at the local level. For example, my IP address for here at home um, is usually at least a half a mile off and often 50 or 100 miles off, but it's at least still within the state of Washington. So I suspect that kind of granularity is... Um, is something that they can uh, they can deal with for this. Um, and of course, the other thing that makes this completely ineffective in the long run is those those folks who are seeking out their adult entertainment, um, they'll just use a VPN and make sure. it look like they're coming from some other state. But that's probably like, the whole point of the uh, of the video is, I mean, to just alert people what's going on. Yep. <laughs> and yep. for people to be like, oh, oh, uh, wait, I could just use my VPN. Yep. And um, yeah, so basically the ban won't really have any effect. Exactly. Exactly. Or, but, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I mean, it won't have any effect, but it will in some way. I mean, it will make things, I guess, legal for those adult entertainment sites. Right. Because they're saying, look, we're not this is what we're doing. Nobody in the state can can view our site. And if somebody goes to get around it, it's on them. Yes. You know, it's like yes. a cigarette, like you know, cigarettes, you can't, minors can't buy cigarettes, but if a minor has a fake ID and, you know, whatever, it's like the cigarette companies just say, hey, look, no, we said don't sell to minors. Right. You know, and it's like, so it's not our fault if some minors have figured out a way to get around it. Yep. Um, yep. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's um, that kind of thing. And I, what frustrates me on this, and this is true for a wide variety of technological issues. 
Um, has, you know, definitely way, way more than just adult entertainment and, and related fields, uh, is so much of the legislation is either created out of ignorance, right? They don't understand how things work, and they don't understand that the legislation they're putting into place really doesn't make sense given how technology works, or they don't care. It's purely performative, right? They're certain they're doing it specifically not to actually make a change to society, but in fact to I want to say pander to their base, right? To 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 do things that uh, their that will garner them more votes in the next election. Um, so that's the part that frustrates me the most. But anyway, right. just thought and, that was kind of interesting. Yep. Well, but it ties into, of course, the Montana ban of TikTok. Yes. which is a lit which is interesting because it's one state yep. it's different is that they're not stopping tiktok from operating in the state or not they, they don't really operate in the state they operate right. through the state or to the people right there the bill is actually for downloads of the app which is right. a really weird way to phrase it so on the one hand it's like the the app stores whether it's you know google or samsung or apple mm -hmm. or whoever mm -hmm. they don't really have that level i mean i guess they could go and say hey if your billing address is montana i guess we could say you can't you can't do it i mean certainly they do it per country uh for different apps saying these apps aren't available in certain countries um that's already done they don't do it by state level. They certainly they, could. It could to at least to the same degree that these adult entertainment sites are doing it. Well, the adult entertainment sites are actually, you know, it's like access to them. But the idea is if you already have the app, then not, this bill doesn't touch it. Like you have TikTok right. now and this right. thing goes into effect or maybe it already went into effect. It's like there's nothing. You have it already. You're fine. Yep. Uh, I don't know how it treats updates. That's kind of an interesting thing. Um, but because uh, it says it's bill makes it illegal to download TikTok. So downloading an update, you're re-downloading the app usually. Hmm. Um, now, of course, Again, what happens if you live near the border? I was going to, I was wondering. Uh, so just drive over and download the app and then come back. Yeah, go to Idaho, download the update and come back. Yeah. Or the other thing that I, it, I think the VPN solution is another one, right? It's another easy way to, yeah. to um, solve the problem. And I think the legislators once again don't realize that TikTok.com is a thing. Right, you can yeah. you can visit TikTok in your browser without downloading the app. Um, so yes, there's like like I was saying earlier, there's so much misguided um, attempts to uh, to solve to solve the problem. Hmm, indeed. Uh, okay, so we're gonna watch that and see if actually you know where these bands go. Yep. And and if we start to have to put up basically, there's actually digital fencing around individual states, which I think. I mean, I, I have to think any big company now that deals with any of this is already thinking about um, uh, fencing between states because it's coming up several times in different places. So I have to think Apple already has a plan in place if they have to ban certain apps in states as opposed yeah. to countries. I mean, they're like, well, they, we don't want to do it, but if it becomes an overwhelming thing, because right now we have lots of states passing lots of legislation that goes against, you know, very much against what even neighboring states do in right. all sorts of different areas. And tech being, you know, one of those here in, in these two cases. So, yeah, the, I the idea. I also wonder if there are ISPs that happen mm -hmm. to serve both sides across a border. Sure. Um, so you could, you could get an IP address 
um, that indicates, you know, that, that originates from one state that you're not in. Yeah. Um, I mean, same as a VPN though, really. Well, but it's actually in, in the case of an ISP, um, yeah. you know, say you, you, you live in uh, Utah, for example, mm -hmm. um, but you're right on the border with Colorado. Mm -hmm. So your ISP happens to be from Colorado. You live in Utah, you can, can connect and see the adult entertainment site because your ISP is in Colorado. So is that Colorado ISP at risk? You know, are they doing something illegal? Are you doing something illegal? Mm. Um, is it a case where ISPs are going to have to implement uh, what boils down to the same kind of geofencing in the way that they allocate the IPs addresses to um, individual customers? I don't know. It gets really complicated really quick. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, as we've pointed out, uh, none of this really solves any problem. No, and it, a lot, and it's a lot of political you know, uh, signaling, posturing, posturing, yes, posturing, signaling. And so it, it, it may be one of those things where obviously it's going to be challenged in courts, but it may actually be challenged. Uh, well, first by the tech companies that say, Hey, we can't do this. Yeah. Like there's no way to, to do what you want. And it may also be challenged by the other side, like saying, uh, Hey, we've broken the law. So now let's take this to court as to whether or not you know the law is actually legal because right. the this the the politicians that are banning these things probably don't really care if they actually happen. Like they don't yes. really care if nobody could download TikTok in Montana. Right. They don't really care what sites private people visit in their homes in Utah, but they want to go and tell their voters that they care. Yes. Exactly. So they're probably not going to be the ones bringing this, the lawsuits because all they can do with a lawsuit is lose. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So anyway, it'll be interesting. Watch this space, I guess. Yep. Um, speaking of traveling with technology. Yes. Or technology goes across state lines or something. So something interesting is happening with uh, AirTags, Apple's AirTag technology. Of course, you know, have these little AirTags, those little discs that mm -hmm. you, you know, what you're supposed to do, what they're advertised for doing is you stick one in your backpack and you're at a friend's house and you decide to leave and you forget your backpack and you get your phone says, hey, you forgot your backpack. And you're like, oh, wow, I almost left. I almost caught the bus and didn't have my backpack and you go back and you get it. You're fine. That's what you're supposed to use it for. Um, what, of course, people immediately want to use it for are uh, th anti-theft devices. Right. You put one on your bike, put one on your car, put one on your dog. Right. Put one on <laughs> your luggage is the other one that I, that luggage I was hearing is a big about. One. Yeah. Now, Apple's been very like, uh, well, mm, we're not going to use any of those examples <laughs> because right. it's kind of unreliable technology when it comes to that. Right. Uh, the whole idea is that these devices, they don't connect to number one, they don't connect to a GPS system to know where they're at. That would take too much power. The other thing, they don't connect to Wi-Fi or mobile networks of any kind. That would also right. take too much power. What they do connect to are other Apple devices, mostly iPhones. Right. They just send up these little pings that are encrypted. iPhones get these and pass them on to Apple. And, um, and it's all very secure and done in a really smart way we've talked about before. But if there's no iPhone around, then it doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take, if you drop one in the wilderness, you'll never find it um, unless <laughs> it's near a trail. And then a hiker with an iPhone walks by, 
then you'll find it, right? If an air if, tag falls in the forest and nobody's around, so, if, and no iPhones <laughs> around to hear it, yeah. If you're in the city, chances are people are going to walk by all right. the time. Right. Um, so, it so they in practice they work really, really well. People are super impressed by how well they work. Um, they're just not the kind of thing, you know, where Apple go and say, "Hey, this will this is an anti theft device," because it's like there's situations where it's just not going to work, and so. Apple doesn't want to do that. Also, Apple has spent a lot of effort building an anti-stalking technology into these. Mm -hmm. So this thing, you know, an AirTag belongs to, say, me. And I've got my iPhone, which belongs to me. And if I walk around with both, I'm good. Wherever the, tag, wherever the AirTag goes, that's where my iPhone is. And it's like, oh, this is good. If it's at my house, it's good because that's the home address for my Apple ID and all of that. So that's fine. Now, if my AirTag leaves me and it's not where I'm traveling, not where my iPhone is, and it's not at my house, but it's moving around and somebody else is with it, mm -hmm. if that goes on long enough over the course of, say, hours, that person gets an alert saying, hey, there's an AirTag following you around. Um, this uh, prevents somebody from dropping an AirTag into somebody's bag. Right. And then or, Being you know, pocket or something them. and then following yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so anti-stalking thing. So that also kind of hurts the, the theft thing. If you put one in your car and some a thief steals it and they happen to have an iPhone, eventually they're going to get a little alert. They're going to get the uh, alert. Air tags <laughs> <laughs> following around. So so Apple, again, doesn't want to go and promote these as anti-theft because that conflicts with the anti-stalking thing. Right. Um, I've actually run into. Uh, oh, another thing it does is if the other, even if the other person doesn't have an iPhone, mm -hmm. if it go it's following them around long enough, uh, it'll start beeping. I thought that was good the case. Yeah. 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 So I've run into this where I do have an AirTag around the collar of my dog, and uh, you know I live in the city. There's always the fear, you know, your dog gets lost or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I just want to have a better than better chance you know anything you can do with your dog did you know one percent better chance of finding my dog in an emergency is good um the problem is you drop your dog off at a dog sitter or at a you know a dog hotel and you leave for vacation and then all of a sudden the entire uh place that they're staying is now getting beeps every few seconds uh from the collar <laughs> we've run into that so that's uh, that's a bit of a pain. Now, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is because despite all this, people have been using them as anti-car theft and anti-bike theft devices. And there have been some great success stories. You can just look up and find tons of articles online about people that have recovered their stolen cars because they hid an AirTag in the car. And I think we've talked about this before, how it's usually the thief's phone that's actually part of the process oh, part of the recovery network yeah yes. recovery process right <laughs> i mean it doesn't have to be it could be the car you know somebody walking by the car and all of that right but a lot of times the thief phone is give, giving the thief up uh the interesting thing is apple still says yeah don't these aren't officially for that right, right. and and people like me say yeah eh, don't rely on these for that well now we've got organizations including new york city saying hey you should rely on these for that uh, New York City is trying to cut down on a an area that has a particularly large amount of car thefts mm -hmm. uh, by the mayor endorsing using air tags 
to the point that they've they purchased 500 of them. It seems like a very small number. Um, and they're giving those 500 away. And I guess encouraging other people to buy, spend 25 bucks and buy them. Uh, you know, just to deter these. I, I don't see how they work as a deterrent, at least not in the like first stage of it, because you don't, you, you know, there's not like a sign that says car protected by AirTag. Right. You know, <laughs> the whole idea is they're hidden. Um, so they wouldn't deter somebody. I guess they would deter in the if the police there start recovering cars or catching thieves, you know, at higher numbers, then maybe they move on to another neighborhood. Um, but it is it is interesting. Of course, the idea is to hide those air tags in the car, right? And uh, they won't be discovered at first. And even if they start beeping, uh, the thief probably will. It'd probably be safer for a thief to to get out, you know, go say, all right, uh, never mind, and leave How the car. How loud behind. is the beep? It's not that loud. It's not something you're going to hear while driving. So I was it's wondering a, if, for yeah. example, if you just, you know, you you hid the i the um, the air tag um, under, I don't know, a blanket in your trunk. Yeah, then probably wouldn't hear it while driving. Certainly wouldn't hear it while driving. Right. And it depends how quiet it is wherever it's parked it's new york city man yeah exactly so you know and, the, and it certainly if, if you hide it enough it doesn't matter if they can hear the beep it's like where is it what are you can do tear the car apart looking for this right. thing right uh, wh- all the time knowing that somebody knows your location right. um, also i think you know if stolen cars are going to uh warehouses or chop shops or whatever um it's pretty scary to have that location revealed Right. It's, you know, the, the, cause right. The police could show up to find that car and just have this, find a lot of cars. There's a vision of all of a sudden there's this, this, this congregation of, of, um, air tags that all converge on one location. That yeah. is this chop stop, chop shop. <laughs> yeah. That could be that. I mean, so, uh, yeah, it's interesting that now it's being endorsed. I guess the whole idea is it's like, this is way better than nothing. It may not be a perfect solution, right. but way better than nothing and used if like if all 500 air tags get distributed to people that park their car cars on the streets in those neighborhoods mm-hmm. then probably over the next few weeks if you know it's bad enough there there's going to be a few of them that are going to be on the move right um that the owners will be able to share the information of where they are with police and maybe the police will be able to Honestly, a protected by AirTag sticker is not really that bad an idea, although it does run into the possibility of um, uh, being taken the same way that a lot of homes have protected by such and such a security system where there really is no security system, yeah. right? If, if, you know, that, that kind of thing could happen. I like potentially the idea of since it's a citywide effort or a city-sponsored effort, um, I could easily see them putting up some signs uh, on street signs. That says, you know, cars mm. here are protected by uh, something, and you don't know which ones, <laughs> right? right? So the car you steal may be protected, uh, so maybe don't. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good way to go. It doesn't hurt. Yep. I mean, I guess it would hurt in general over the long run to be lying if that's not the case. Of right. course, the best thing to do is do both: put the sign up mm-hmm. and actually have it be true. Yes, <laughs> have an air tag. <laughs> I mean, twenty five so. bucks is. I, I've considered, as I said, I've got one on my dog, but I've definitely considered putting one on my bike. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's less. It's harder to hide it 
Right. There are places to hide it that are really sure. obvious, you know, under the seat under and that kind seat. of thing. Yeah. That would be like, yeah. well, okay, uh, to find to find a good place. I mean, somebody who knows what they're doing and could do a little bit of welding or uh, or is actually already altering bikes where to, to the point where they could seal it in place and right. so, some somewhere. But I'm not that type, so I'd I'd have to put it in a more obvious, right, um, right. obvious place. Uh, so I don't I don't know. It's interesting because a lot of um, Newer cars are already coming with um, services, uh, geolocation kinds oh, of sure. things. Oh, sure. And they're the so, full they're the full deal with GPS and exactly, exactly. You know, so, for example, if any networks. if anybody ever steals my Tesla, I can find it. Right, it'll be there in the app. Mm -hmm. And you do hear stories of that from time to time. But that kind of technology, um, where the vehicle is internet connected. Um, most of the time is I think also increasing in popularity and is another approach that um, is is helping you know people recover the vehicles that have been stolen um, at some point I suspect that thieves are going to be you know caught on to that and say well you know what we'll not steal this car because we know that it has that technology but maybe we'll steal that one instead um, yeah but I've done that with a car I've put I've gotten one of the uh, GPS and mobile network uh, devices Mm -hmm. uh, attached it to one of my cars that was kind of at risk because of where it was, it was being parked regularly. Mm -hmm. And I actually even modified it. It, it had a battery in it. And once a week, you'd have to charge the battery up with a USB Ew. port. Ew. I took that USB port and wired it up to the car power. Good. And it would charge the battery. And I thought, okay, there might be a problem with this. Nope. Years. I went years. And that mm -hmm. thing stayed at 100% charge Mm -hmm. hooked up to the car battery with no issues. It was like, oh, this is pretty easy. And I was always able to tell the location of the car. Yep. And if somebody had stolen it, it was because of where I hooked it up and had it, had to hook it up. It was actually really well hidden. Mm -hmm. um, and it was- Is that uh, one of those that was, uh, that's connected to the uh, the diagnostic port? Um, I didn't, I didn't connect. No, I had, I tried one of those once too. And it was very flaky. Okay, because I've got one of those on one of my cars, not the the other, you know, the non-Tesla. Yeah. And um, I find that really, really handy, but I don't necessarily use it to locate the vehicle. Right. Uh, but I use it for um, my volunteer work. So when I get called out for something, very often that mileage needs to be reported. And it's great because... Mm -hmm. Um, when I, you know, I go out, I come back and then I go online and then all of a sudden I've got a map of where I went and how far I went and how many miles were involved and so forth. That's actually yeah, been pretty, I, been pretty handy. That was a cheaper option that I had first mm -hmm. and maybe the technology has gotten better, but the, the number of pings where it would notice the location were mm -hmm. further in between and it only worked for, for me, at least it only worked when the car was on. Oh, so, um, yeah, that's a good point. That probably is only when the car is on, but given that the car is typically on to be stolen, right. uh, you'll at least know the last known location, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 there's interesting stuff out there for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So today is an anniversary. Yeah. Um, we are recording this on May the 2nd, Tuesday, mm -hmm. uh, May the 2nd of 1983 is the day that a very, a much, much younger, like 40 years younger, um, Leo Notenboom walked up the steps of what was then a small to mid-sized company uh, called Microsoft for mm. his first day at work. Um, 
I started on uh, the uh, Microsoft COBOL team. We had a COBOL team. Um, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. It's been 18 years, 18 and a half years there. Um, it's just, it just blows me away that that was 40 years ago. Yeah. Where were you in 1983? I was starting high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I, I get that. Um, so yeah, these were, uh, um, I just, I, I made note of it on, on my personal Facebook. There's a quote unquote Microsoft old timers group where a lot of the folks who are around about that same time are chiming in. Um, and just, it, it, you know, it's one of those little personal milestones that, uh, sure. wow, that was a long yeah. time ago. And, and, and needless to say, um, joining that company at that time was life altering. Um, oh, sure. would have, you know, happily written software elsewhere, but that I happened to choose Microsoft, which by the way, um, uh, it's, it's more a case of, I didn't want to leave the Seattle area. So it was really, really convenient that Microsoft was here. And, and so I signed up with them. Um, good times. Anyway, yeah. that yeah. Okay. is cool. Yeah. Also, also cool. So last week, you mentioned the Bobiverse. Um, the right. um, uh, We Are Legion, I think, is the first book, mm -hmm. which I am now, I think, about three quarters of the way through, uh, enjoying it quite a bit. But the irony is that I went to purchase the book, Kindle, mm -hmm. and Amazon says, why? You already own this. Oh. In fact, you bought it in 2016. Huh. Now, last week, you mentioned that maybe you had mentioned it here on TEH. So I yeah. figured, okay, maybe he did. And maybe that's what caused me to buy it. No, 2016 yeah. is before TEH. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not even sure how I ended up with it. I really have no recollection of it. Um, but it's definitely a book that I'm enjoying and uh, looking forward to the rest of the series. What it made me think of, and this is also a series that I think I have mentioned here, mm -hmm. that I actually saw get awarded um, some of the, one of the you know best sci-fi, new sci-fi of the recent years, is a series called the Murderbot series. Mm -hmm. And that, it, 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 the Bobiverse just reminds me of that. But in this case, the Murderbot um, is an AI, a robot, uh, who has broken free of his programming uh, his programming was to be apparently an offensive weapon. Um, and in fact, you know, he has kind of a reputation for having done what his name might suggest. But um, he then goes on, you know, various adventures where he struggles with his identity and his programming and all that kind of stuff. The stuff you might expect from a, um, you know, a suddenly freed and somewhat sentient uh, robot um, out in, you know, in the space. Um, I, that was one that, like I said, it just reminded me of um, of the Bobiverse, and if you haven't, you might want to give that one a try. Yeah, my I have, actual I have read Murderbot, so we yeah. have awesome the first, the first novella, uh, and the rest are on my wish list. So cool, I'll eventually cool. be getting to them. Good to hear. Um, my actual ain't it cool this year, this week is actually not technically tech related, um, but it is something that I keep stumbling on. Uh, I stumble onto it all the time on TikTok, but it actually originates out on YouTube, and it's lock picking lawyer. Um, he's got like a couple of thousand videos of discussing 
the pros and cons of various locks from various manufacturers um, and showing him proceeding to then very effectively and very efficiently picking them all. Um, I have lost a tremendous amount of faith in any kind of a padlock or locking type device. Uh, after I watch him, uh, you know, remember TikTok originally, you know, they're like 60 second videos. He will come up with, you know, a fairly complicated lock with some very obscure and very, what looks to be hard to, uh, hard to pick. And of course it, they all claim to be pick proof. Um, and he just goes, you know, brings out his tools and goes flip, flip, flip. And all of a sudden the lock is open. Um, it's, it is very entertaining and very educational to watch. Uh, especially after you watch him do it on various kinds of um, of devices that have locks of various sorts. So anyway, Lock Picking Lawyer, it's a YouTube channel that I'll have is linked in the show notes. Yeah, I've seen uh, his stuff as well. Matter of fact, my current front door lock um, is a, uh, there was another one I had been considering, mm -hmm. but his video on how to pick that mm -hmm. was so ridiculously easy. I mean, some of them are like, you know, here's, I did this and I did this and I did that. And it's like, right. oh, okay. All right. Now, you know, this one was like, there's a hole for the rain, you know, for water to come out. Right. Stick something in it and it pops open. <laughs> I'm like, oh man. All right. So I'm not going to get that one. Let me get the one that takes like seven steps to pick instead of the one that takes one step. Yeah. At least make the, the burglar work for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. My, my, uh, Ina cool is also very non-tech, even more non-tech than yours. Okay. And it's art. So, um, uh, Denver is home to the Clifford Still Museum. So Clifford Still is, uh, one of the most famous, uh, abstract impressionist or abstract, uh, expressionist painters. Um, so big canvases with, uh, lots of, you know, large fields of color in them and things like that mm -hmm. um and there's a museum that is all of his artwork basically give or take uh he had a thing in his will saying that uh, uh all my artwork has to be displayed in one museum and the only purpose of that museum is to display my artwork um and he did that apparently as a uh, because he believed that artists artwork should be displayed in such a way like he shouldn't go to a museum and see one piece by this person one piece by that person all of that because you're not getting any story there. But if you see an artist's complete works together, you get a story. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so we've got that here because the city of Denver, there was a bidding war over that. And the city of Denver won many years ago and built this beautiful museum that has all of his artwork in it. Uh, there's way too much to actually be displayed. So there's it's basically curated and mm -hmm. changing. Mm -hmm. And it it's fantastic to look at, look at if you like uh, abstract expressionist paintings which i do mm -hmm. um and uh some of the pieces are, are massive and uh really interesting to look at um and and i don't know i find very uh, inspiring for reasons that are not you know usually when you're inspired by something it's for a specific reason mm -hmm. i have no idea why a big painting with colors in it <laughs> you know but it is so you know i just don't you know whatever it's brain fuel um also I found it interesting in that uh, by the time he was my age, mm -hmm. he was known and respected, but not famous. Mm -hmm. Most of his famous work and his like real close, you know, rise to the fame that would warrant him in his own museum mm -hmm. came when he was older. Um, you know, he painted almost up to the end of his life mm -hmm. and a lot of his 
big famous paintings he did in his 50s and 60s so what you're so, saying is there's hope for us yet well yeah you know because you start sometimes <laughs> especially when you're around a lot of younger people sometimes you start to feel like it's like all right what do, <laughs> you know could i create a cool game or could i write a good piece of fiction or something like that so it's good to find examples of artists yep. that actually were continue to be creative maybe the most creative they ever were right uh later in, in life senior yep. years and all that anyway it's great if you're, and you're ever in denver and um you know you're looking for things to see it's a great uh, opportunity since you're not going to see clifford still artwork anywhere else it's only here in denver it's um uh, abstract impressionist stuff isn't really my gig but i was looking at the the website and uh yeah interesting we have uh, again the the link to the website of course will be in the show notes uh, let's see. Self-promotion time. I would like to point everybody at a very interesting article uh, called Don't Use Windows Built-in Image Backup. Um, I have to immediately say, I'm not saying don't back up. Definitely back up. Just don't use that tool to do it. Um, it's a very interesting situation where Microsoft has this long and sordid history with backup tools built into Windows. They've never been great, although the one that is there is the, uh, I'm reluctant to call it the best, so I'll use my, it's the least worst backup least tool worst, Microsoft yeah. has ever produced. <laughs> um, but they haven't updated it since Windows 7, so it's been, it's, you know, it hasn't been updated for like 10 years. Um, and now they actually explicitly say, you know, someday that tool is going to go away. Uh, you should be looking at third-party tools. So uh, askleo.com slash 155457. Don't use Windows built-in image backup. And I show you, I give you some ideas on what else you might want to try. Cool. I'll link to a video I did last week, uh, seven things you should do before downloading an app from outside of the app store. Hmm. Um, it's always a risk when you go out, well, it's a risk when you install any software, but it's a little more risky when you go outside of the app store, uh, and, uh, people like you and me, Leo, we know, you know, if there's a company, <laughs> oh yeah, I know this software company. They've been right. around for a long time. Right. And right. this is, we're but not everybody is fortunate enough. You know, they don't they spend their whole lives tracking tech like we do. Right. So they see an app, they want to download it. Well, wait a minute. How do I know I can trust this site? How do I know I can trust this developer? What do I do? Where do I start? So I give some tips, uh, you know, how to research uh, apps and sites to get a better sense of how much of a risk it is downloading something. Cool. I may have to visit that list myself, and I'm yes. sure that much of it probably is platform independent. Um, yeah. There are definitely some platform independent things that fall into that category. So cool. Cool. I think that pretty much takes care of it for another week. Yeah. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh191. If you've got a comment or a question, be sure and leave it there for us. We absolutely see them. Thanks, as always, for listening. And we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.